0: The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have y'all back, but I'm even more excited for our special guest today. He is the Anti financial advisor, cash flow expert, podcast host like myself, and the founder of Money Ripples, Chris Miles. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, sir? Hey, Cody.
1: Awesome, loving it. Excited to be here,
0: man. I I say it all the time, but I am truly honored to have you on here. I'm so excited with with all the stuff you're putting out into the world, all the great content and folks. We'll link all that in the uh, in the very end of it and in the show notes, but please check out Chris's stuff. It's truly awesome. Chris, I I love having you on here. Want to talk a bunch, but we always love starting with a good origin story here. So for the folks at home that hopefully are not, but are hearing your voice and seeing your face for the first time, we'd love to get your, where you're from, how you got into real estate and what you find yourself doing these days.
1: Yeah. Although I I live in Utah right now, just South of Salt Lake. I actually grew up in Oregon. I was raised by hardworking parents, parents that taught me good values. My dad was the typical depression era mentality kind of guy, almost like the guy Dave Ramsey would be proud of. In fact, it would be like Dave Ramsey's older brother that Dave Ramsey looked up to, right? My, my mom was a starving artist, entrepreneur. In fact, she actually was trained by the same master painter that trained Bob Ross. So oh. uh, she painted happy little trees too, you know, back in the day, you know? <laughs> and, and so anyways, I was raised by good parents, but the one thing that they couldn't teach me really well was money. The only thing my dad taught me was The same thing he taught his little brother, Dave Ramsey, right? Was be a penny pincher, save everything, spend nothing, save it forever. And, you know, pack it away into your retirement plan, which is what he was doing, you know, and he was packing his 401k. He was paid off his house early. He was very proud of that. Um, Yet, you know, we'd be sitting at the kitchen table and he's telling me all this stuff, but then on the same, you know, almost the next breath, he's telling me, ah, man, we can't afford this. Or, you know, what do you think I am? Made of money? Money doesn't grow on trees, you know. Or the worst one was, you know, what do you I'm gonna work until I'm dead. Like this job is gonna literally kill me. And so I kind of grew up saying, I don't want that life. (laughs) So when I after I, I got into college, I wanted to go into business consulting, but I thought I should have real life business experience. What should I do? And then the opportunity came out to become a financial advisor, not knowing that they hired anybody off the street that could pass a test with 70%. I didn't know that, but I the, those words kind of came back to me of my dad. And I thought, you know, if I can give my dad at least a few years of his life back, that would be worth it. Plus, if I learned something about money, that'd be great too. Right. So I became a financial advisor, the mainstream salesman in a suit that you see. Yet after several years, I go and sit down at my dad's table and he says, All right, Chris, I'm 61 years old. What else can I do here? And I look at his finances. And after I go through all the numbers, I say, Dad, well, Let's just hope that you don't live longer than five years after retirement because you're going to run out of money. You're basically going to have to die. And and remember, he was debt-free. He uh, had saved in his 401ks. He did everything right. Yet, he was still not financially free. Mm -hmm. And that definitely didn't inspire a whole lot of hope in him. And he's like, well, what can I do? And I said, I don't know. This is outside of what financial advisors teach now. And, And I started thinking about his situation. But then I thought about my other clients, all of those people and some of them had had financial advisors for decades prior, yet they were in the same boat as him. And what's worse, I vowed not to become like my dad. And guess what? I'm my dad because I was living cheap. I was saving on and all the, doing all those things, trying to pay off my debt aggressively, doing all of this, yet I wasn't financially free either in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And so it, I kind of felt like a fraud. You know, I felt a little hopeless, and of course, when you're at that point to say, wait, maybe this stuff doesn't work. Maybe this is wrong. That's when, of course, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. That's when I started kind of going to go on my own journey. And I found guys that were, do, were doing real estate investing and they're doing this stuff. And they were in their 20s and 30s financially free. Yet I couldn't find any financial advisor in the firm. there's hundreds of guys that worked there. Not a one of them was financially free if they stopped selling their stuff. They were making money off the sales, off the mm-hmm. commissions they're earning but never off the investments. And that's even including guys since the late seventies. So that point I'm like, okay, I'm never gonna be financial advisor again. I quit, I started doing more things with real estate, creating passive income. And the next thing I know, later about, later that year, I actually was able to become financially independent myself. And I was 28 years old. And at, from that point on, I'm like, well, what am I gonna be when I grow up? What am I gonna do now? I don't have to work, I'm work optional. And, uh, and that was a cool place to be, a scary place. Cause I had no plans to be there that quickly. Um, But it got me to the point where I'm now starting to teach people how to do the same thing, how to become financially free, how to do the opposite of what financial advisors teach, focus on cash flow, not just accumulating money.
0: Right. Well, and I love that because I know we were talking off camera. It's like, well, well, what if everyone's projecting in the financial world, you're going to live till X years old. What if you live till X plus five? What do you do then? Do you have to go back to work? Do you you know where are you going to get your money from? And I, I love all the stuff that you're that you talk about. Because I, I think it opens the eyes to a lot of people that honestly, like myself, were taught like just save and, and grind and go to work, get a good job, climb the ladder, keep putting money away. Don't over-leverage yourself with, with debt, which I mean, I'm not advocating to over-leverage, but pay off yeah. all the debt. You want to be debt-free, but no one teaches you about the idea of good debt. They don't teach you yes. about the idea of cash flow. They don't, they don't teach you that there are other mechanisms outside of just the corporate nine to five, you know, whatever, W2, 401k, you're in this rat race and you just keep churning the wheel. And once you get off the wheel, it's like, now what? So no, I I absolutely love it. Honestly, I would want to talk to you and, and maybe for a later show, talk to you about all that kind of stuff. But we are here to talk about some unsuccess and things that maybe challenge you or even that you struggled with or failed at early in your career to kind of set you up to, like you said, I mean, you were financially free at 28. So for those listening, educate us on, on maybe some of the struggles or failures you had early on that helped propel you to where you
1: are today. Yeah. A lot of people, they're kind of wowed because they say, Chris, you were financially independent twice by the time you're 39. That's incredible. How do you even become financially independent twice? And I said, that's easy. You screw up the first time, right? (laughs) That's how you do it. And that's what happened with me. Because see, the thing I was learning from these guys that shifted my mindset, understand that even as a financial advisor, I read Rich I understood what he taught, but somehow we all put it in our head because, you know, you want to make things true in your favor. Somehow as financial advisors, we were teaching Kiyosaki stuff too, which was bull because Kiyosaki is like, you're not investors, you're savers, savers are losers. Well, as I started to really understand that it's about cash flow right? Because my my vision was save $2 million, live on the 3%, just like now they're telling people to do. I was questioning it even back then about the 4% rule, which is crap, but living on 3% of 2 million would be 60,000 a year. I thought that would be living the, the high life. Well, 20 years ago, it kind of was higher than today from inflation, but that's $2 million. What blew my mind was, what if that 2 million paid you 10%, you know, just 10% a year passively, well, that's $200,000 a year, a completely different lifestyle. In fact, if I wanted six, you know, 60,000 a year, I would only need 600,000. Just take mm-hmm. off the zero, right? If you want to make 10%, drop the zero, 600,000 is all you need. So when I shifted that mindset around cash flow, then I started doing investing, right? I started doing things like real estate, understanding, ah, oh, it's always about the income. It doesn't matter about my net worth or anything. Net worth is worthless. It's about the cash flow that's coming in that I can pay for your bills. Well, I mm-hmm. did that. Got to the point where I was financially independent. Now I'm there, and I'm feeling pretty happy with myself in my 20s. I also had a lot of ego and pride because, you know, well, really, the ego and pride was more pride in the sense that I thought I was less than other people, so I was insecure. Hmm. So I would actually go and buy, you know, I bought a brand new little McMansion, you know, and you know, try to put my stuff out in front of me, buy a Mercedes and everything to say, "Hey, look at me! I'm successful. I'm amazing." Rather than, "Don't look at me," because now, I'm uncertain about myself. Am I really that great? You know, am I really that special? And so I started doing that. And then, and I thought, well, wait. Even if I now I'm making this cash flow and this pain for all this stuff, that's great. But what if, you know, what if I start going for appreciation in my real estate? So, and this is in two thousand six, right? Two thousand six, two thousand seven. And I'm thinking, well, I can buy a hundred thousand dollar property, appreciates 10%, ten percent. That's a ten thousand bucks. If I buy a five hundred thousand dollar property, appreciates ten percent, that's fifty thousand bucks. So why not buy more bigger properties? Math it's holds when The market tanks. That's not a smart thing because you buy above the median price. It's harder to sell too. And the, those prices fluctuate more. And that's exactly what happened. The recession hit. Uh, the price were fluctuating, including my own house. That I had I had all this equity I dumped in because I still use the Dave Ramsey method, throw all your money and paying down your mortgage. Because I thought, well, if I need the money, I just pull it out. Because in those days, I was a mortgage broker even. In those days, you just figured, oh, I'll just get a HELOC because they'll give anybody, they'll let anybody cash money out. As long as you have at least a 660 or 680 credit score, you can cash money out of your mortgage. Well, they stopped that in 2000. In really, at this, I, I tell you exactly when it stopped. It was July of 2007 because I tried to get a cash out refinance of my equity, realizing I was having some cash flow issues. Well, I couldn't do it. So, August, I tried again because they said, well, bump up the credit score two points. I bumped it up two points by August of that year. They wouldn't do it. They said, oh, we have more requirements now. Then by September of 07, they said, sorry, we no longer allow you to do cash out refinances. And my equity was trapped in that property as well as the other properties I had. And so now I'm stuck. And of course, property values drop. I can't get out of it. Some of the cash flow was suffering because then people weren't paying me as we're going to the recession and stuff. It was just a whole big nightmare. And so I went from really upside, uh, really millionaire to upside down millionaire, you know, mm-hmm. over, I wouldn't say overnight, it was like over a year. And so the big thing i learned was you know that coming out this other end and especially as i avoided bankruptcy but i still had to pay all that money back was really focusing on cash flow not just appreciation in fact appreciation i consider like icing on the cake i don't ever count on it the cash flow is always the most important thing i like boring like boring is sexy to me now i want something that always pays predictably stable cash flow so I know I'm always getting paid and I have multiple streams coming in from different sources to ensure that even if those streams get cut off I'm better off here.
0: Well, and I think for a lot of people too that may be listening especially in the last couple of years, it feels like mm-hmm. appreciation's probably back, right? Hey, this property's going to appreciate. I know that, you know, we're still relatively new to the game, but it's you see a lot of people around us they're like, "Man, no, this this property's going to appreciate in like 2 or 3 years." Well, what if it doesn't? What, right. what if we have a black swan event again? What if something catastrophic happens, whether it was an 08 or a COVID or whatever happens? What if, right? Are are you protected? Yeah. And what I hear you say is you don't care what the value of the property is at any given time for the most part, unless you're going to getting ready to sell it. You yeah. only care about the cash flow. The, every, everything else is icing on the cake. It's truly, what is it paying me on a on a regular basis to be able All to make profit. sure that I'm making it? Yeah. That's right.
1: Yeah. That's, I mean, see, that's the thing is that it, some, some people think they have cash flow, right? And I was kind of in that place too, where, you know, at, right now, anything in the Western half of the United States, unless you are somehow an amazing person that bought something off market for really cheap, anything in the Western half of the United States has bad cash flow right now, right? Especially people in California. Like I see so many people in California, like I got my investment property. One of my clients, he had, he has 700,000 of equity in that investment property that nets him 200 bucks a month. It's a 0.3% return on equity. And I hmm. love to look at return on equity. It's like, what is that really giving you? That's a great thing. All this appreciation has been awesome and helpful as long as you sell it, but it doesn't do anything for your return on equity. How can you move that else to elsewhere to be able to get a higher profit? And so the problem I see is like with him, I said, this is the time to sell, right? Because in California, if things do go down 10% or what's it, what's those, let's just say that all of a sudden he can't keep raising rents and that affects his cash flow, he's now negative cash flow with a 700,000 net worth
0: property there. Wait, Chris, I just want to make sure everyone heard you. Are you saying that rents always won't
1: increase? Yeah, it's possible rents might actually go down, especially given certain conditions, yeah. Interesting,
0: pro tip, <laughs> listen to Chris. what Chris is saying there. They
1: don't always go up, it's not always a given. It's true, well, for example, if we ever see interest rates drop again, which I think is still a possibility, if interest rates happen to drop, and all of a sudden, now people say, "Oh, it's affordable again. I could buy a house, right?" Well, all of a sudden, that takes away the rent demand, and that can mean that now you're being more competitive because now we have vacant units because people are now buying their own houses. Now they can actually have competition of trying to get that price down. Right. I mean, that's not likely to happen, but it still can. You got to prepare for those worst case scenarios. Always stress testing your your investments.
0: Well, and I think it goes back to your your main point of if you're if you're banking on appreciation. You're banking on the wrong thing. It, it's all about mm-hmm. the cash flow that's going to be the king of all the underwriting that you do. And as long as you're cash flowing and you stress tested your property and your underwriting well enough to absorb some some hits if something does happen, then you're probably going to be safe because at the end of the day, you can just hold it a little bit longer. You know, I think yeah. we've had some folks on the show in the past that have talked about typically you only lose in real estate because you run out of either time or money. That's right. And if you're cash flowing well, just hold on to a little bit longer. Maybe you have to move some money around financially, maybe refinance this or that, but if you just hold it longer and it still works, what does it matter?
1: That's right. It's, it's interesting because from a sales perspective, right, in the real estate world, you know cash flow doesn't sell. Like if you sit, tell somebody, "Hey, you're going to make an extra 300, 400 bucks per door." That doesn't sound nearly as sexy as saying, "Hey, on this flip you're going to make an extra 50 grand or a hundred grand, or if you wholesale this, you're going to make, you know, 25, 30, $50,000 on this deal. That sounds a lot sexier than $300 a month. Right. right. I, I even saw somebody send an email. Sadly, it's a friend of mine in the real estate space, but I mean, he, same thing you're talking about. He said, Hey, 50 grand can turn into 4.3 million. And I figured out he did the math. It's after 20 years, not to mention, he charges you 65 grand up front. You, you pay 50 grand and then you get no cash flow. You have to wait until he sells the property before you get paid anything, which to me is like, the, I mean, you know, if somebody has a mindset of like the financial advisor world, which is put it away, set it and forget it. Just, you know, almost like an IRA. Okay. That's fine. But the problem is when you need the money, you can't get it. Right. That's, that's a horrible place to be. You're not liquid. And that's, and that's the kind of stuff that needs to change out there. There's so many bad teachings in the financial world, even inside the real estate space, sometimes that you really have to be careful. No,
0: I absolutely love it. Chris, we could probably go on for this an endless amount of time on these types of topics. I, I honestly can't thank you enough for jun- jumping on board. Folks, if you're listening to this, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to this one again. Chris has a wealth of knowledge and has spoken just a fraction of what he knows here today. So Chris, thank you so much for joining. I I, I do truly appreciate it. It's been such a pleasure. really appreciate it, Cody. Yeah, absolutely. And for those that want to maybe work with you learn from you, invest with you in the future, Chris, where's the best place people can find you at?
1: Yeah. Anything that says Money Ripples. <laughs> so either moneyripples.com or at Money Ripples on social media, even our YouTube channels, Money Ripples. Perfect. And, and I cannot stress enough, folks, if you're watching this, please like stop and go
0: watch Chris's stuff. He has a lot of great content. Cannot stress enough how amazing it is. So again, Chris, thanks for joining us. It's truly been a pleasure having you on.
1: You're welcome. Thanks. All right.
0: Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see everyone next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.